Welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your host, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Hello! Welcome! Welcome to tonight's episode where we are discussing Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Wow, there is a lot happening here. We have the Missy Franklin cameo. We have Spencer in Radley. We have a lot of Eddie Lamb. We have A driving off. The lair is now officially an RV. Uh, We have a really aggravating scene uh, between Hackett and Arya. And we also have uh, all the guys in this episode who are present are pretty much being dirtbags, which is, you know, not a shock. And we also have some really fantastic Vander Jesus. Yes, we certainly do. Yeah, we were just talking before we hit record about um, a number of things that we had either misremembered or remembered differently about this episode and how certain elements of this episode feel like they could be plucked right out and placed pretty much anywhere else in the series. This is a... This is an interesting one. I had totally remembered this as the episode where Spencer and Allie had their ghost waltz and was a little disappointed to not uh, have ghost Allison showing up in the in the basement of Radley at the end of this episode. But I know that is coming. Um, but yes, it is. We, we are getting a lot of Spencer in Radley and there will be a lot to unpack there. I think it is um, safe to say that we will probably be discussing pretty in-depth Spencer's uh, mental health issues in this episode um, as well as some of her her thoughts around self-harm and suicide so just a little warning we'll we'll do a more direct warning when we get to those scenes but this is uh, probably the heaviest episode to date when it comes to to that topic yeah I would definitely I would definitely agree with that uh, also, what an episode when Melissa Hastings comes off as the most caring and compassionate adult uh, in the liars' lives. That is, gosh, that is something. When Melissa feels vaguely more responsible than Ashley Marin, you know that everybody's having a bit of a day in Rosewood. We know that we're on the verge of the upside down, for sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Shall we dive right in? I think... We shall. Uh, We open on Mona's lips. The episode is gay from the word go this week, especially as Mona is studying her own lips in a mirrored compact and then angling the mirror to get visibility on an upset looking Hannah and Aria. What a great shot. Uh, The camera swivels to Hannah, Aria and Emily who are concerned about Spencer's radio silence since last night. Aria is showing her concern in this scene by wearing a long-sleeved light blue blouse with a skull pattern on it. Uh, They decide that Spencer's just skipping school, and if they don't hear from her during the day, they'll check on her after. Uh, This is such a bad choice. Like, you guys are the liars. Someone could be dead here. Uh, But now, Spencer's fate rests in the hands of big sister Melissa, who's here at the school enlisting Vice Principal Hackett's help with asking the liars if they've heard from Spencer since she did not come home the night before and is not answering Melissa's calls either. Uh, The liars are awkward and uncomfortable, but deny any knowledge of Spencer or her plans or where she might be. 
Uh, honestly, I know they feel like they can't trust anyone, but they could at least mention the bad breakup with Tobey here. Uh, Melissa, after not getting anything from the liars, goes to Hackett's office to contact the police because, again, this week, cell phones only sporadically exist. Mona closes her mirror with a smile and some lovely hoop earrings. Yeah, you know, Spencer has spent basically the last two episodes telling the liars that Toby is probably trying to kill her. And they just seem to think that she's, you know, like went for a joyride in her car or something like it's it's a little weird I think it's I understand why they don't want to fill Hackett in I think it's weird that they don't speak privately to Melissa here I mean I know that they are never trusting of Melissa but come on like the stakes are pretty high in this moment yeah there's a Carol Anshaw book that I really love called seven moves and there's a line in there about a character who's gone missing where they talk about like someone who's deciding about whether or not to call the police and they kind of don't want to because it would like let in the first damp breezes of terror, like that maybe something is really like more wrong than you think it is or that you hope it is. And I, part of that might be what's going on with the liars here, but I just feel like in the world that the liars live in, they should just be like really aware. Uh, They should be really aware that Spencer is not, as suggested later, at a bookstore or a theater that she likes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking last last time about how Emily uh, was sort of stepping up to the leader role because she was the liar most singularly. You really see that here. Uh, Hannah and Aria, like, the Spencer situation is, like, B or C on each of their respective lists. Like, they have they have some A missions that are um, not not Mona A, but, you know, uh, A top-of-the-line missions that are, are really kind of taking the bulk of their attention, I think. Yeah, Spencer is, like, Spencer is much more of a thing that they are, like, talking about in an offhanded manner than something that is consuming them as, like, a quest or, like, a propelling storyline this week. Yes, yes. And Emily, because God forbid Paige show up again, it is, this is the quest that Emily is, is married to this week. Uh, So we cut over to Radley, where Spencer is sitting in a room. She's shuffling some cards. She has a little bandage on her chin when uh, a nurse named Eddie walks in. Um, I like this dude right off the bat. Like he just has uh, this really sort of seen it all energy about him he's kind of warm and playful but there's still a guardedness about him that I find interesting um I think he's I, I act I think this guy's a really good actor I think he plays this really naturally and I like his chemistry with Troyan a lot um Spencer is is kind of enjoying playing this role of Jane Doe she is you know kind of claiming to not know who she is um her demeanor, though, is very different than we saw at the end of the last episode. She is far from catatonic. She's actually kind of um, being playful with him and seems curious. Uh, she's kind of like along for the ride almost. She's sort of like, if I'm here in Radley, I'm here in Radley. She asked some questions about the circumstances of how she ended up here. And there's some talk about the possibility of her being sent to jail. But she is here for a psych eval. A doctor will visit soon and determine what happens next. She asks what's the matter with her, and he answers that she's supposed to have amnesia. I really like how Eddie is consistently calling Spencer out throughout this episode. He knows 
he knows the game she's playing or at least part of it. Um, and one thing that's also just interestingly not mentioned here at all is like Spencer's privilege and also and how if people I mean, she has privilege as a white person, of course. Uh, but then once people actually find out who she is, she has a ton of privilege uh, in this situation, which nobody really mentions. Uh, once Eddie leaves the room, Spencer sort of hisses to herself, Radley. Um, and and I just want to ask, so what do you make of, of this? The, well, Spencer exhibits a lot of very curious behavior here, but the way that she says Radley to me, it almost feels like one could see this scene and be like, oh, Spencer's bit. This has been a Spencer plan all along. She's just been playing along to get herself into Radley. I don't at all think that that's what's happening, but I feel like the way she says Radley has that energy to it. That's so interesting. I actually read this scene as uh, Spencer is in a situation I'm not sure Spencer knows exactly how she got here. Like, I think Spencer is operating without a lot of info. Uh, and I think that when she says that at the end, I think Spencer might not have known for sure that that is where she was. Well, interesting. That's that's what I thought it might have been, especially because it, within the scene itself, uh, Elam tells her that uh, if the if the county psych ward hadn't been full she would have gone there, but instead mm. she was diverted uh, to Radley. But I, I like that Spencer seems like she's having, uh, compared to the later scenes of her and Radley, at this point, she seems like she's having kind of a good time. She seems fairly Spencer-y, even though she's, you know, taking on this persona of the Jane Doe. She's talking entirely like she's in uh, a noir film. That's what Jane <laughs> Doe does, saying she comes from a long line of does and then when uh, he says that she's supposed to have amnesia, she kind of says, well, you know, if I, if I do, I certainly don't remember. Uh, so like she seems, uh, she seems Spencer shaped here. Uh, and then that kind of deteriorates as we move through, uh, as we move through the episode with her. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that's an interesting read that Spencer is realizing that she's in Radley and actually maybe, I, like does the audience even know that she that she's in Radley at this point because maybe this is just her literally telling us Radley you know I think we assumed that she was in Radley previously but I don't think we knew for sure I think we just saw the the cage door uh the the cell door closing uh last week so maybe this is sort of an audience an audience catch-up hiss of the word Radley um because later there are definitely some establishing shots but uh either way it's it, yes, her demeanor here is is in, is curious for sure. She actually seems the happiest that she seemed in weeks in this mm -hmm. in these initial interactions. Yeah, yeah, yeah I definitely agree. Um, post credits, uh, the liars feel like they don't need more police in their lives, and they decide to look for Spencer themselves. Uh, they are seriously on the wrong track, thinking of bookstores and theater spaces that she likes. Uh, but they agree to start searching and periodically check in with Melissa in case she hears anything. Uh, over in her room at Radley, Spencer is playing solitaire uh, and she stares morosely at a Joker card. 
Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what scary version of the Joker she's thinking of here. I know that this is many years before the more recent ones, but yes, Spencer, the Joker is very scary. Um, over at the Marin house, Ashley is scouring the paper for news of Wilden. Hannah wants her to calm down. Uh, Ted calls, but Ashley doesn't answer. So Hannah does lying about Ashley having her hands in some bread dough. Hannah runs some interference between the two of them on this whole social interaction, um, sort of arranging this coffee date. And then after the phone call, she tells Ashley that they have to act like nothing is wrong. Ashley reaches for a carrot stick and they have this very funny exchange where she says, God, I want a pretzel. And Hannah replies, just put some salt on it. Uh, This is another instance like we've been talking about where Hannah is kind of taking on the parental role largely because she has a lot more experience in this world of murder and mayhem than Ashley does. Uh, But I find it very interesting the way that Ashley goes along with it. She doesn't really push back on Hannah calling the shots here. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. I feel like it's, um, it's very like emblematic of the relationship the two of them have that they do kind of switch back and forth between who's taking care of who, uh, and Ashley is just really unraveling so much at this point uh, that she seems very willing to go ahead and kind of let Hannah take the lead. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, obviously it's a different situation, but in, I think, it, I can't remember if it's season four or season five, but when Pam and Emily have to like move into the hotel because their windows have been broken for like the 10th <laughs> time. And there's that scene when Emily comes home and Pam is just like breaking down and Emily is, is the one comforting her. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's a good, that's a good call out. Um, I think it's funny that in this scene, Pastor Ted does not know Ashley and Hannah well enough to see through the obvious lie of Ashley, like making bread in their, like a food that is like all carbs. And Ashley is just, like making it by hand on the counter that mostly holds takeout salads. Like this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the Ashley that he wants to believe is, is, is right. in there. You know, this is the pastor's wife right. version of Ashley. Yeah. She's got, yeah, that's true. She has like a red and white checked apron tied in a bow behind her back. You're, you're right. That is the vision that Hannah is conjuring up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I really feel like so much of this episode can be read as Ashley. It, like, this is this is Ashley's elaborate way of getting out of dating Pastor Ted <laughs> is by, like, thinking that she murdered a detective and trying to move to New York. <laughs> yes, whereas, like, Pastor Ted is, like, envisioning the Ashley from a Hallmark movie that has, like, an adorable streak of flour on her cheek and her hair and, like, a, a messy bun as she's baking. Yeah, and, like, an inexplicable southern accent all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Speaking of how some things are just not a love story, um, Aria texts the others that Spencer isn't at the bookstore. Uh, I'm not even sure if Aria checked the bookstore, uh, because rather than continuing to look for her missing best friend, Aria has chosen to hang out on the couch at Prezra's apartment. Boo! She's here to have a stupid scene with him where he talks about not being able to charm his way through math 
and how he needs something more stable than freelancing now that he is a family man. He's thinking about teaching again, and he misses Arya, even though she is right there in front of him at this very moment. Uh, these two are so annoying. Um, Spencer is playing the piano over at Radley, which is um, an interest. It's interesting to just have this piano sitting out there because it's like maybe the other people sitting in the day room don't want to hear somebody playing the piano. I wonder if Spencer takes requests. Um, but then somebody walks in and it is Dr. Sullivan. She says Spencer's name and the way that Spencer turns around is, uh, is just great. And she says to herself, Ollie Ollie Oxenfree. And then she starts playing the Amanda Palmer song there on the piano as the other residents of Bradley get up and no, that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like I, the, the whole vibe of Spencer's time at Radley. Uh, it seems like there is very little uh, oversight by the staff and just general, like, extreme unstructured time where people maybe play on this instrument or maybe, like, do stuff with, like, the eternal packs of playing cards that are everywhere or there's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's kind of basically like quarantine prep. They just have all of this time that they need to fill with whatever is in their immediate vicinity. Yeah, yeah, it it is it is strange. It, it because also like Spencer is locked in her room at least once or twice in this episode, but then presumably they have endless hanging out in the day room time as well. Yeah, it's very, and, and there's no real sense of like when it's day or when it's night there and what exactly is happening. It's all, it's all very fuzzy, I think. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, Ashley and Hannah meet up with Pastor Ted, who is so grateful to them for connecting him with Jamie Doyle, a.k.a. Uncle Daddy. Uh, the church bell is going to be coming back and who should walk up to interrupt their friendly confab, but Detective Wilden or Sarah Harvey in a coconut oil mask. Who can say? Uh, but Wilden uh, is there to throw out some threatening lines about having been fishing for a few days. And I was legit surprised to see him as I really did think he was already dead. Uh, apparently he's not. Ashley and Hannah are spooked. Uh, the camera pans to the church sign where Ted has been putting up an Emerson quote, commit a crime and the world is made of glass. And this kicks off our series of weird, ominous church board quotes. Well, also, did you notice that it he, he wrote Emerson and then on the bottom he wrote Pastor Ted Wilson? So is he, <laughs> like, is he trying to get credit for this? <laughs> I assume... I assume that it always says Pastor Ted Wilson. Like that, that probably is always at the bottom because he's the pastor of the church. Maybe. Probably, but it's a little weird. So why is Wilden alive? Like it feels really anticlimactic and unnecessary. What what do we gain by Wilden still being alive? Oh, I have no idea because all of the conversations that they have in this episode could have still happened like they're the same conversations they would be having if he was still missing I feel like and him being back like it, it kind of lowers the stakes on the fact that Ashley hit him with the car because now yeah. like I, I mean 
it, it just seems like now whatever happens to him, they can't say, well, Ashley hit him with a car and that is how he died. Yeah, you know, I mean, we'll we'll get into this, I'm sure, like as we get into season four, but it's sort of like all things being considered, wouldn't wouldn't it have been a, maybe a more suspenseful ending for season three if Ashley, if it had ended with Ashley getting arrested for his murder? You know, if they'd brought in the FBI agents, like maybe in this episode and sort of started the investigation and then by the end, like the season three cliffhanger was Wilden is for sure dead, but... Uh, Ashley is is being arrested for his murder. Yeah, I and also the like the tie-in of we last saw him hassling CC Drake on the day of the night when he disappears. Like that works a lot better for it eventually being Charlotte uh, sure. who took him out. Yeah, yeah, it it's 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 kind of it's it's sort of <laughs> Like the, a few weeks ago when we were talking about that whole idea of like a hat on a hat on a hat. Like it's a little a hat on a hat on a hat where it's like, I mean, this is classic. This is like in, in post-time jump when it's like you have Charlotte's murder right there. But no, let's throw in the murder of Rollins just just to have an extra murder around. Like this is like you already had the setup of it looks like Ashley has killed this guy and and isn't the logical the logical next part of it that he winds up dead. Why do we then need a second confrontation between the two of them right right so now it's not just like ashley ran him over with a car and he's vanished and we're not sure if he's dead or alive it's ashley hit him with a car and we thought he was dead but really he's alive but he's about to be dead and ashley still hit him and then hannah hid the car that he was in by throwing it in a river like it's just it really is an unnecessary complication that he's like back but he's only back for a really short time before he actually is going to be murdered right well and and then the idea that he and ashley because don't we remember don't we find out i don't even remember i I don't even remember now, but in my memory, we find out that they did have a, another confrontation, Ashley and Wilden, where she did pull a gun on him, but she didn't actually shoot him. Or maybe Hannah just thinks that, and and that's the whole scene with Mona, where Mona's tricking her into thinking she was the one. But either way, it's like, at the, at some point, at some characters believe that Ashley and Wilden had, like, two by-the-side-of-an-abandoned-road conversations, which is just a little... A little much. One one too many hats, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they could have just stuck Ashley in a yellow tank top and had her accidentally kill him about six more times. Put him, bury him in a grave and not even check to see if, if it was if it was him or Sarah Harvey in a coconut oil mask. <laughs> um, so back over at Radley, Dr. Sullivan is asking Spencer why she didn't tell anyone who she was. Spencer says that it's been very nice not being Spencer Hastings. Sullivan asks why she doesn't want to be Spencer, and Spencer responds by saying that Toby Cavanaugh is dead. Sullivan immediately questions whether this is true, but Spencer is convinced, or at least she needs to be, saying that she is the reason he is dead. Um, Sullivan says that she is going to call her family, and then she is going to call the police. Uh, I find Spencer blaming herself for this, but refusing to investigate further, really fascinating. It's like she really does need to believe that Toby is dead um, for, I think, a multitude of reasons. I think um, to believe that sort of 
that the terror that she's that she's been going through is actually over to believe that he can't hurt her or her friends again um to believe that uh an a has finally died but i also think uh, to have a, a more concrete manifestation of this grief that she's been feeling i think that she's been in such tremendous grief uh, it's kind of that um, ambiguous loss idea. She's been in such tremendous grief over her relationship with Toby, but he's still been alive. And if Toby is dead, then that's 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 a whole lot for her to grieve and perhaps a slightly less ambiguous loss. And I also think there's this suspended animation thing where if she can believe he's dead but not have confirmation that he's dead, she can kind of float around in this limbo space where she doesn't really have to move um, too quickly in any one direction. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that you're I think you're quite right about that. I think that Spencer definitely wants to believe that he's dead because if if it's a situation where she thought that he was going to kill her, uh, the idea that he's dead and she's alive is laced with at least a little bit of relief. Yeah. Uh, and I also think that Toby alive and on the A team is a very complicated thing to deal with. Toby yeah. dead is her dead ex-boyfriend and it really it distills the situation down to something that is more manageable and more understandable and also more final. Uh, there's not going to be a question of does she need to forgive Toby if he's standing in front of her? Will Toby apologize? Will he continue to terrorize her? Like, um, So I think that in, in that way uh, this type of grief is something that Spencer might feel is just going to be uh, devastating, but there would be a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Well, the other thing that this that, that Toby being dead would take off the table is the possibility that Spencer would eventually have to kill him, which has perhaps been in the back of her mind through this. Mm. You know. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point, and feeling that she needs to protect her friends from Toby. Uh, yes. that she needs to protect Emily from Toby, uh, et cetera, which I, we see, like, as the episode goes on, we see, like, the burden that Spencer feels um, in, in terms of the her relationship to the liars. Uh, but a question that I have for you about this scene is, what do you think about Dr. Sullivan here? I think there are, like, 15 different ways that she should be asking more probing questions. What about you? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I, I I do like so I do like her asking why doesn't Spencer want to be Spencer? Um, but I, I really think that that when um, when Spencer brought up the the death of Toby, that that was a twist that Sullivan, I think, really didn't see coming. And uh, she 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 does not react in the in the best way. She does not she doesn't really ask, she doesn't ask questions that really could be used both for Spencer's emotional well-being and also to to get like actual factual, you know, investigative information from Spencer. I really feel like actually there is a read of this episode um, that one could have that Sullivan is on the eighteen because she she does some she does some weird. So a few weird things in this episode. I agree. And I think that this also could be read through uh, your theory that Sullivan, uh, her son, is actually Toby. Because she really does seem to derail when Spencer suggests that Toby is dead. 
Uh, and also the idea that there was a staff member at Radley who was like in on this uh, sneaking people in and out situation. Uh, if Toby was her son, that would, you know, kind of also be a, a point of access for him to have been getting in and out and helping Mona. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the questions that you wished she would have asked Spencer here? Well, Spencer uh, specifically says that she knew what would happen if she told them who she was. And what would have happened is that she would have been turned over to her family. Um, So Spencer, at this point, like right off the bat, is saying she would rather be committed to a mental health facility as a Jane Doe that acknowledge who she is and be sent home. So I think you should definitely be inquiring as to whether there is emotional abuse, whether there is, you know, con- content warning here, whether there is potentially sexual abuse going on. And given what Dr. Sullivan knows about Mona and the the torture that Spencer was, was put through when the A-game was happening before, you certainly might want to do some inquiry as to whether anything like that could be happening again. So those are like the first line questions. Um, But even if Dr. Sullivan has had some kind of a stroke and is not able to ask those questions uh, at this time, I think that she could probe further uh, to determine whether Spencer hallucinated this, this body that she saw uh, or whether it was something that she really did encounter. Uh, And you know, barring that, I think that she might uh, inquire a little bit into Spencer's feeling that she is responsible because there is an even chance that Spencer could be confessing to a murder here. <laughs> so uh, in all these ways, I feel like Dr. Sullivan uh, could demonstrate a little more clinical curiosity. <laughs> yes, that's all true. She also, she's not really normalizing anything that Spencer's going through here. I mean, obviously this is not a normal situation, but for for somebody who's been under the amount of stress that Spencer's been under to crack like this is not unexpected. And I feel like Sullivan um, Sullivan could be exhibiting a little bit more empathy for Spencer here as well. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, so the, the whole thing that Spencer is involved in here, which we're going to hear about repeatedly throughout the episode, is that she's on a 72-hour hold and there's going to be a psych evaluation like there's always going to be an evaluation (laughs) but like no matter how many times she's talking to dr sullivan or the orderlies it's never actually happening (laughs) like it's like the the psych evaluation is like an ap test that she's gonna have to like sit for in a room or something uh so you you might think that this is part of the evaluation (laughs) but no no uh no this is just like a, a chat between you know piano playing friends uh, where they're going to, you know, identify Spencer uh, and then just be like, oh, why are you here? They have good pudding. Like, you know, that's that's basically what's happening. Yeah, this is like the amuse-bouche and, and everybody's like, where's the dinner? Where's the dinner? <laughs> and like, we're, it's going to be a while. Aria approaches her dad to talk about Prezra. Uh, Ella apparently already filled him in on the woman in Delaware and, as Byron calls him, the boy, (laughs) which is a jerk way to talk about things, unless Byron is actually referring to the low-budget horror movie. Uh, But he does ask Arya how she's doing, 
So, you know, points for that. Arya uses this opening to press Byron to maybe find Prezra a job or get him back in at Hollis. Ugh! How on earth is this her problem? Uh, Byron is not completely on board, but before she can wheedle some more, she gets a text from Emily declaring, somewhat prematurely, that Spencer is okay. Yeah, I I described this whole storyline as like a bag of flour has exploded all over the kitchen and you're not even sure like where to begin to start cleaning it up. Because I feel like I feel like everything everything here like every everybody is out of line here. Everybody has such poor communication. Everybody has such poor boundaries. Like it's it's not even really it's not like I know sort of the show like I kind of know which side the show is rooting for us to be on but I also kind of don't because the way it's written like nobody comes out looking good in this situation so it's just bad well my sister and I uh we often used to talk about the law of annoying people uh we have one very annoying relative who we felt like we could predict their behavior by determining in any given situation they're going to do whatever thing will annoy us the most. It's like a consistency uh, of behavior. And I feel like that in many ways applies to the Montgomery family and all, uh, all plot lines that touch them. In every situation, they're going to do the most Montgomery thing possible. So here they go, Montgumming everything up uh, as, as, this plot line, uh, as this plot line unravels this week. It's so true. It's so true. And it's just bizarre. Uh, back over at Radley. It's, it's, it's an interesting time when we're like desperate to get back to Radley, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Melissa is very concerned. Uh, she's, she's tearful. She's upset. She tells Spencer that their parents are on their way. And Melissa is doing what she can to get her out. Spencer seems pretty unbothered, you know, mentioning that it's a 72-hour hold and Melissa doesn't need to bother. Uh, Melissa asks basically what happened that landed Spencer here and Spencer replies how far back do you want me to go Melissa says that she feels responsible she always thought that Spencer was being cruel but she never thought that she might be dot 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 unwell Spencer quips that this is a big relief for both of them um it's it is really interesting how even though Spencer is speaking about all of this as sort of being the result of Tobey I mean that's kind of how she presents it to Dr. Sullivan there's also this real sense, even from Melissa's perspective, that this has been building for quite some time. And it is also really interesting to think about the ways in which Melissa's behavior have contributed to Spencer being in Radley. Uh, and and really, you know, I think it all comes down to the ways that the patriarchy has turned these two sisters against each other so completely. Case in point, Ian and Ren. Yeah, 100% agreement on that. And also, I think it's uh, it's so interesting. Like, this episode is really like a long, a long lead of Spencer spiraling downward and Spencer, like, you know, going from, like, fairly dry-eyed uh, to just, like, really, really being more of an emotional wreck by the time the episode ends. Uh, and here we really see Melissa cracking under the strain uh and and i think like i think that she has some compassion because she has also been raised in this extreme 
extremely competitive uh, conditional Hastings environment uh, that they've both come up in. But also think about Melissa. She believes that Spencer murdered Allison. Like Melissa believes that Spencer did that and that Melissa and the Hastings have been doing their level best to cover that up and keep Spencer from having the knowledge of it for a mm. long time. So, I mean, I feel like Melissa might actually feel some relief at the idea that Spencer could be getting like professional help, even though calling her dot, dot, dot unwell is possibly the waspiest allusion to mental illness uh, that I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really, it really is. It's like as waspy as, as the, as it could be um, without, you know, like, and still be allowed to be on, on broadcast television. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Their dynamic here is so unique from anything we ever see at any point in the series. And I I find it really fascinating that um, they chose to tell this storyline and have Melissa be sort of the present member of the Hastings household during all of this um, and less so her um, the Hastings parents. I know that they'll come in, you know, over the next few episodes, but that Melissa is really the one. In the, dealing with this situation right now. Um, and I think that I think that Melissa being the one at home just contributes to Spencer feeling like she doesn't have a home to, to go back to right now. You well, know? yeah. And I mean, does she ever like it? Right. It never. It never seems like home. There are always like threatening men lurking in the kitchen. Like there's just there's so much going on here. And also, even though, like, of course, it's probably more about when they could or could not uh, get the actor, I still like the idea that, like, even though we see Pren as being very charming, uh, even in this really dire situation where Spencer uh, is in uh, a mental health facility on a 72-hour hold, Melissa does not call him. Like, he is a bad enough guy in Melissa's understanding of the situation uh, that she is not going to turn to him for help in Spencer's hour of need. Yeah. And that that doesn't even, um, yeah, that that doesn't even factor in as an option that Spencer might call him or, or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, It is interesting. Oy vey, uh, the remaining liars are now gathered at the brew where Melissa dropped by Emily's work to let her know Spencer was at Radley. Uh, Melissa is being very respectful of the liar bond this week, probably because Charlotte has explained how important it is during pillow talk. Uh, the liars think they should go out and try to talk to Spencer, find out why she was in the woods all night, what this has to do with Toby, etc., but it's family visits only during the 72-hour hold, though Emily did call Dr. Sullivan to see if any exceptions could be made for them. Hannah's phone chimes, and she shows the other liars that she has been texted a still of Ashley getting out of Wilden's police car on the night that she hit him. I don't know. I think that this loses a lot of its sting and its impact and its bite if they know that Wilden is not dead at this point. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because if anything, I think Wilden would come across seeming sketchier and weirder. Um, I mean, I know that Ashley hits him with the car, but like, it, I don't know. I, I, I And again, it's Rosewood, right? So of course, they're always going to take his word over hers. But um, yeah, the, 
I, at one point in this episode, I took the note, if Hannah had not destroyed the car and had, and had actually given it back to Wilden, would everything have just gone back to normal? Like, I, I kind of feel like it might have. I mean, I, they would have been in a weird blackmail situation, but Wilden also has a lot to lose by, by all of this getting out. Yes, he definitely does. And I actually felt like maybe there was, because I, I had, as I said, I had like totally blanked out on the fact that he's alive again for this particular episode. Uh, and so I was like, maybe I'm forgetting, maybe we're both forgetting like another piece of this story. Maybe he's desperate to get the car back because he has Cece on the recording doing something. I don't really know. Uh, but it's it's very kind of weird and confusing, especially since he already has a cover story that the car was stolen. Uh, it's very difficult to understand exactly what's going on and what his objective currently is now that he's alive temporarily again. And what the show's objective with him is like it's it's all it's all confusing. Yeah, like so the the thing that. A is threatening is that like people will find out that your mom ran over Wilden and then he disappeared but now he's back and he's fine and he never said anything about it like that all seems like, it just seems like they would both have a lot of explaining to do around this situation <laughs> uh, but also I feel like the liars ought to be trying harder here uh, to get to Spencer, like Hannah has a lot of experience with Radley and how their security procedures work. She was like sneaking in there to visit Mona all summer. Uh, and also the liars could go to Mona to try to sneak in. Plus they still have like, Emily has access to that Elam badge that Toby had. So there are like a lot of ways that I feel like if they were trying harder, uh, they could potentially get in and get at Spencer here. That's a good point. That's a good point. Also, um, yeah, the other thing, the other bizarre thing with the whole Wilden situation is he's not even injured at all. So it's not even <laughs> no, he's of, fine. like he showed up with mysterious injuries and could lord that over Ashley or something like he's 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 never better. Like, <laughs> it's just it's really weird. It's a really weird choice. Um and then the hilarity that, like, the season ends and it's not even that they find his body. It's like they find the pig in the trunk. So it's like another hat on this hat. Like, they just cannot, they cannot let Wilden be dead. Now, okay, remind me, when they find the pig in the trunk, is it in the trunk of his car that has been pulled out of the lake? Or is it a different car? Is it I, just like a police cruiser? I think it's the... Oh. I want to say it's the trunk of his car that's been pulled out of the lake. Um, and then, like, five minutes later in the episode, they see his dead body. Yeah, so he, like, dies multiple times over the course of, like, like Allison, he dies multiple times. Like, you think he's dead because he got hit by the car and disappeared. But, oh, wait, now he's alive again. But, oh, wait, he's going to be murdered. And there's his body. Wait, no, it's a pig. But then there's his body on the side of the road. Is Wilden Rasputin? He just might be. Yeah. Um, so back over at Radley, Spencer is being handed some antibiotics by Eddie Lamb or Eddie, Nurse Eddie. So that's what we know him as right now. Um, he tells her that no real, no, um, you know, uh, meds having to do with her mental health will be administered until after this mysterious psych evaluation. 
she takes a look at his badge and realizes it says E. Lamb. She confirms that he is, in fact, Eddie Lamb. Um, to which I say, why would Toby be impersonating a person of color when he was coming to Radley? Like, that, I, I, I mean, I get that they needed to get to the E. Lamb of it all, but, like, that's, there's some questions. I have some questions. Yes. I think that the answer is just that he knew Eddie Lamb. Uh, he knew Eddie Lamb. And so that was someone he knew worked there and that he could like clone the badge or steal the badge or whatever. I guess so. I also, guess. I back in the day, uh, I had a theory that because the Elam badge that that uh, Toby used was fake and because we had that weird scene where we still didn't know what Elam looked like when Emily was messing around on the police computer, that maybe Elam is just a fake badge that bad people use when they're trying to infiltrate Radley. So I had a theory that this guy might not necessarily be Elam and might just be someone who was in there working to manipulate Spencer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of... I, to me, one of the most convoluted episode titles of the whole series is The Silence of Elam, uh, <laughs> which is one that we get like way, way far away. I think it has something to do with with Mary, maybe Marion Cavanaugh or Mona's death or something. Um, yeah, but I do. I do like this guy. Me too. Me too. Uh, oh, so. Um, yeah, over at the. Uh... Over at the Marin house, Hannah is telling her mom about Spencer being in Radley, and Ashley is alarmed. Uh, she says she will cancel her trip to New York, which we previously had not heard about at all. Uh, Hannah does not want her to do that, and Ashley says uh, that it's not just a seminar. There's a promotion on the line, and they might have to relocate to New York. Hannah is spectacularly unbothered by this and thinks it would be a great time for them both to leave town. Uh, and it's really interesting how easily Hannah suggests this when her mom is involved. Uh, there's no mention of Caleb or Spencer or the others. Uh, and Ashley isn't sure. She doesn't want Hannah alone in the house. And then Hannah volunteers to just go and stay with Emily. Yeah, this was another storyline I had completely forgotten. I, I mean, I remember that Ashley went to New York. I had completely forgotten that there was ever an Ashley and Hannah might move to New York subplot. Um, and it is really interesting that Hannah, who is consistently up until this point been the liar, most freaked out by the possibility of anybody moving away from Rosewood, uh, is is all in on this possibility of them moving to New York. Um, it's also interesting because eventually, of course, Hannah will live in New York later in the series. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because we talked about the lost year uh, after Allison uh, has, has disappeared and Aria is in Iceland, the way that the liars, the remaining liars all kind of go their separate ways and no longer operate as a unit. Um, I think that this is maybe like a smaller scale uh, demonstration of that, that if you remove Spencer from the equation because she is in Radley and she's not like the one in charge, that like Hannah being willing to move to New York is like an example of how the group could fracture again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. It's like they're, they're replicating this pattern maybe without even completely realizing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So Emily approaches Dr. Sullivan on the street outside her office at night to ask about Spencer. Uh, Dr. Sullivan should not be revealing anything to Emily, but tells Emily that Spencer thinks that she saw Toby's body. Um, The police, we learn, have been trying to contact Toby's family. Why has nobody reached out to Miles Corwin? Because he seemed to be the only person who could get a beat on this dude. Um, This is where I took the note that maybe they were working a Sullivan as a team thing this season. Because the way that she sort of activates Emily here seems uh, extra sketchy. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, Dr. Sullivan is really giving Emily a lot of information, uh, which I I read this again through your theory of like Dr. Sullivan is Toby's mother and she's trading this information, trying to get Emily to say if she knows where Toby is. Um, But yeah, other than that, like Dr. Sullivan is just like spilling some confidential info all over the sidewalk here for no apparent reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good point. And I, I get that this is just like they had to they had to get this information to the liars, but they didn't want the liars to be directly in contact with Spencer. So they used Sullivan as the proxy in this episode. But it's it's easy to read some malicious intent behind some of Sullivan's communication here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely agree. Uh, we now have two Montgomery parents Montgomerying all over the place. Uh, Byron and Ella are talking in her classroom, debating over the Presria situation and how to handle Arya's request for Byron to help. Uh, Ella suggests that while, quote, other aspects of his character are debatable, that Presra is a good teacher. Oh, yes, yes. Aside from that pesky dating his underage student thing, he's a real prince. Also, Byron is a slime ball and thinks if they help stabilize his new family unit, he might cast Arya aside like yesterday's laundry. What a tangled web these cheeseheads weave. Yes, how Machiavellian, Byron. You know, you're going to orchestrate Arya's whole downfall here. Um, Also, it's funny that there's a mention of the prom, which we will not see, of course, until season six. Um, (laughs) And there's a classic Ella line here where she says, are we supposed to do anything? Um, Yeah, these these two. Um, So Spencer and Sullivan, I think, are finally maybe. Is this the psyche valve? Is this no, like- I mean, I don't I don't think that the psyche valve takes place in this episode. Okay. For some reason I interpreted this as the psyche valve, but I'm I'm not sure that it is. Or maybe the psyche valve is like the group therapy session at the end of the episode, which seems like not a very good idea to do a psych evaluation as group therapy, if so. Well, um, like they're they're talking about the evaluation here, like um like she Spencer wants to know when she can see her friends and Dr. Sullivan says like not during the evaluation period but afterwards she'll either be released like it definitely doesn't sound like this is the evaluation it just sounds like it like it sounds like the evaluation is just like I said like a test she's gonna take yeah. in like a, a padded room or something or maybe it's more like a like a three-day wedding kind of situation where it's like this is this is 
this is like the cocktail hour of the evaluation and then there's going to be the ceremony and then they have to like go to another place for the reception <laughs> and then there's like a brunch the next day like oh, you know? or it's like or it's like a personality quiz that they're <laughs> gonna have to take like like on Buffy where they say like you know if, if you say you want to be a florist is your career it means like you're secretly crazy or something and like they're like ah Spencer hit this key on the piano <laughs> instead of this key like it's just it's something like that possibly so possibly so well in this you know part part like 1a of the possible psyche eval um we seem to be mid a very upsetting conversation spencer is completely disbelieving that toby could be alive she really needs to believe uh that he is dead for all the reasons that we talked about before um sullivan tries to talk spencer down from this a bit tries to kind of um reason with her but spencer spencer is you know it's pretty steadfast she cries now and says that she needs to see her friends which interesting that this is the first time she asks for them sullivan says they can't see each other but offers to send her them a message uh, this also seemed like another great moment to have sullivan do something shady because you know, maybe she doesn't give them the message or gives them like a different message or something. But uh, Spencer just says to tell her friends that she misses them. Uh, a question that I have here is, is Melissa acting as Spencer's legal guardian at this point? I think so. Yes. I think that okay. she is the adult next of kin who is like on on site and present. So I think yes. Uh, although, and we, we had that moment earlier where Melissa was saying like the flights from London like, all the flights from Europe are grounded. The Hastings <laughs> cannot get back. It's just impossible. Um, I do think that, like, with the Hastings being lawyers, I definitely think that if they wanted Spencer out, they could be, like, calling and threatening to sue. Uh, so, no, nobody is, nobody is trying real hard to get Spencer out. Not the liars, not her parents. Uh, Melissa wants to try, but Spencer herself is like, eh. Yeah, nobody is moving heaven and earth to get this young lady out of out of Radley. It is it is kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, this is this is kind of where where things are left. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh my goodness, we now go to one of the quintessential PLL guest star moments, Shauna. Who, let's just review, her last interaction with Emily was Emily stealing the Queen of Hearts costume credit card info from the costume shop, thereby getting Shauna in trouble slash possibly fired. Uh, Shauna has now called Emily to meet her at the brew where she is introducing Emily, but not Paige, who's also a swimmer and Shauna's ex, who she might still want to get back together with. Uh, she's introducing Emily to Missy Franklin. Emily is starstruck and fumbles for things to say before congratulating her, presumably on the four gold medals that she won during the 2012 Olympics. Yeah, they, Missy Franklin seems very happy. She like smiles a lot. They talk about the sharks, which Missy Franklin seems very interested in. I think that the reason for this cameo is that Missy Franklin was, you know, um, quite quite the golden girl at this particular moment and and loved PLL and so she was granted this cameo and she's very sweet on the show but it's a very weird interaction um and seems to be later we'll the the second part of this scene like we'll see it, it this seems to be like Shauna's version of flirting um but but also possibly trying to manipulate Emily but also pro possibly trying to like 
reveal Emily's duplicitous nature of some sort to Paige and or Allison and or Jenna. Like, it's just, it's, it's strange. It's strange how this cameo comes to be. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it seems like it would make more sense if, like, Paige and Emily met Missy Franklin and then Paige had invited Shauna. Like, if the point is to, like, have Missy Franklin stir up jealousy or whatever. Um, but, you know, you, you get what you get. Uh, Missy Franklin does not seem wildly necessary, but at least, at least there's no like ambiguity. At least Missy Franklin is definitely Missy Franklin and not a vampire version of herself who is just like swimming the same race or singing the same song over and over and over again (laughs) while on a train. Oh, Oh, somewhere in some alternate universe, Adam Lambert is still singing that cuckoo song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, it kind of seems like the number one piece of like acting advice that someone gave to Missy Franklin was to just keep her eyes open very wide. So her eyes are open very wide throughout this whole scene. And to smile a lot. She is smiling the whole time. Very smiley. Indeed. Very smiley. It's interesting that they chose to just have her be Missy Franklin because it doesn't seem like it would have been that hard to like make her a swim coach or like a swimming scout from a school that like be that as it may everybody here's missy franklin (laughs) (laughs) ladies and gentlemen well it's also really weird because it's like shauna explains and she's like i met missy franklin at the airport i asked for her picture and then i dragged her to my town to come to the brew to meet my ambiguous not (laughs) your girlfriend it's like you what? forgot. You forgot the hat on the hat on the hat. She met her at the airport in Colorado. Like she didn't even meet her at the airport like today or anything. Like she met her at the airport in Colorado and like I don't know, maybe they like hooked up in the bathroom or something. And when she was like, Call me if you're ever in Rosewood, Missy Franklin. Yeah, that is a Caleb's aunt moving to Australia level. <laughs> Explanation. Well, also, what was Shauna doing in Colorado? Shauna is from Georgia and is now living in Rhode. Like, and also, we don't even know. We don't even know at this point in the show slash episode. We don't even know that Shauna is a swimmer yet. (laughs) That's right. We find that out later. (laughs) Yes. So, so it's like. Here's a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat, and they're all being worn by Missy Franklin. <laughs> Missy Franklin, girl wears lots of hats. Yes. Um, yeah. So back at Radley, Eddie is dressing Spencer's chin wound while she lightly interrogates him about how his badge works. Um, I like this dude because he calls her out right away, saying, You're asking the kind of questions I have to report. Um, There's a little bit of back and forth about, you know, how the badges work, if they scan electronically. And then Spencer asks if she's really crazy, but he says that she isn't. Um, I am not a fan of the way that the show and this episode in particular treat, quote unquote, craziness as this sort of black and white thing. One is either crazy or not crazy. 
Like, because Spencer now knows her name and can carry on a conversation, that means she isn't crazy. She's totally fine. Um, And, you know, if she was like, you know, had to be in a padded room or something, that would tick her into the crazy column. Um, It's just such an unnuanced look at um at at mental health issues and it's kind of just sets up this false dichotomy that I am not a fan of um and I get that that's uh, I I think I think PLL thinks that it's sort of commenting on that by having Spencer clearly not be in a good place but I don't think that they're doing a good enough job or have a good track record before or after this to earn any confidence in how they're talking about mental health here um, Eddie explains that there was trouble with the old badges, uh, possibly people getting out and people getting in. Yeah, I like a lot of the questioning that Spencer is doing in this episode. And I like the ambiguity of when she says, what if I really am crazy? Uh, that that's a question that she's asking this guy who like has known her for all of five minutes. Uh, But she's also asking it of herself. Like, what if there really is something more wrong than she realized or more wrong than she thought? Like, we have seen Spencer be on the verge of accusing herself of murder for a really long time. Uh, So I think that when Spencer asks this question, part of it is that she's kind of like just engaging in this film noirish banter that she's got going on with Eddie Lamb. But I think also there's another level to it that Spencer is starting to feel like maybe this is a place where she belongs. Yeah. Well, and it's really, when you think about the whole trajectory of Spencer's character, it's really tragic that nobody has ever been honest with her one day of her life because, you know, her her mother, her biological mother, Mary Drake, you know, was, was a patient at Radley. Her, um, her wait a minute is charlotte her sister or her cousin charlotte is her half sister right (laughs) okay charlotte is right charlotte's mother is mary drake and her father is pastor ted and spencer's mother is mary drake and her father is peter but he thought it was jessica okay yes Yes. Got it. Got it. Got okay, it. Yes. Got it. They're cool. half sisters. <laughs> They're half sisters. You know, that 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 she's that obviously Charlotte spent a lot of time in Radley and that, you know, it's like if anybody would communicate with Spencer, if anybody would tell Spencer the truth, maybe she wouldn't feel so alone here. Um, and and also that that nobody is has ever told Spencer that there might be um in her in her biology some of these issues that that, that she's she's never found out about because nobody's ever told her um you know biolog- anything about her own biology so it's it's just um it's just so sad as always that Spencer is has just been gaslit her entire life about so much of her life well and when confronted with evidence that Spencer uh who Peter certainly knows uh, that Mary Drake had uh, <clears throat> had mental health issues uh, when confronted with the fact that like his daughter with Mary Drake may have killed one of her friends. Uh, Peter's instinct was not to get her help. Peter's instinct yeah. was to cover it up 
uh, as quickly and effectively as possible. Right. Right. Well, and that, yes, I mean, obviously Spencer's identical twin as well had some, uh, had a whole host of issues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's too bad that all the flights from London were grounded because I know someone who would have shown up for the job of Spencer Hastings and been really happy to take it. (laughs) Oh my God. I did not even think about that line in the context of the finale. That is so funny. Nobody showed up. To take the job. Oh, Spencer, if only you knew. Yeah, someone has been working on their application <laughs> very diligently. Spencer. She just has to turn Ren into an eternity stone first. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, uh, but also with this line about Spencer asking herself, uh, slash Eddie, uh, what if she really is crazy? Uh, I just want to take a quick second to mention how much I have always... Uh, like that line in the context of what if one of the girls was a my preference that it would have been Spencer uh, and that she would have been aware or unaware chasing herself this whole time would have been totally fascinating yeah yeah would have been very sort of like Shutter Island that that movie yeah oh my gosh um Aria is at Hannah's place and Hannah is packing a suitcase either of her own clothes to take to Emily's or for her mom so that she'll go to New York. Uh, Hannah says that she's doing double crisis worrying, and since it's after three, she's worried about her mom right now instead of Spencer. Uh, I'm so shocked that they haven't just gone to Mona again to ask for help sneaking in. Uh, But anyway, Hannah again says that she would be willing to sacrifice herself and move to New York if it gets her mom away from Wilden. Uh, We do get a piece of additional info which is that Wilden told people his car was stolen and Hannah thinks that the GPS does not work underwater since nothing does. It's a scientific fact. Who cares how a cell divides? It just does. (laughs) Hannah's like, anything that gets wet doesn't work. The end. I want a science class taught by Hannah Marin. I think it would be a sheer delight. (laughs) I certainly, certainly agree. Uh, but also when I talked about them getting Mona to help them sneak into Radley, I remember that Arya snuck into Radley uh, to threaten Mona earlier this very season. Right. And isn't Arya going to become like the art therapy teacher at Radley yeah. and <laughs> or something? Yes. And Ren just is a volunteer doctor there. So like, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, but I find it really, I find it really odd that there's so little concern from the other liars about Hannah potentially moving away. I mean, Arya does ask, like, do you really think you'll move to New York? And Hannah's like, maybe. But it just, this, I, I think it's, it's clear. I really think that this time period on the show, there were so many storylines that they were trying out and just completely dropping. I think we've talked about a number of them. You know, the dead body that was that they thought was Toby maybe being Wilden. Um, Sullivan maybe being part of the A-team, um, Shauna and Emily, I think, maybe cheating on Paige, I think, is something that's maybe being floated around at this time. And I think another one is this whole Hannah and Ashley maybe moving away plot thread. And that, for whatever reason, I think that they cut off a lot of these storylines very early. And this feels like another example of that to me. Well, this is actually, uh, this is also an example, I would say, of... a a repeat storyline like not that the writers are as out of ideas as they're going to be later 
but uh, we did have the Will Emily move to Texas plotline. Right. Uh, and, and so the Will Hannah move to New York plotline feels uh, extremely similar, right down to like, oh, no, Hannah will stay with Emily. Just like, oh, no, Emily just stayed with Hannah. Uh, I, yeah. I feel like there are a lot of similarities there. Yeah, yeah. It also sort of feels like they were like, oh, wasn't it fun when Hannah and Emily lived together? Let's do that again. So back over at the Missy Franklin photo op, uh, Shauna, Emily, and Missy Franklin are all taking pictures and laughing. And Missy Franklin is weirdly into offering advice to these teen girl swimmers. Um, Missy Franklin leaves and uh, Shauna and Emily kind of lightly fangirl over her. We find out that Shauna is a swimmer. Uh, Emily is surprised. And there's sort of a kind of a nice moment between the two of them before Shauna leaves. Emily sort of stares after her. And I think that we are supposed to read this as Shauna maybe flirting with Emily. But it is not really coming through. These two have absolutely zero chemistry. And just not even an absence of chemistry, but like an absence of anything. Like I feel like their relationship is... Like it's it's just dead. Like there's just no there's no there doesn't even the animosity between them doesn't feel particularly charged, which is super weird considering the fact that like these two these these girls share like two ex girlfriends basically whether they know it or not, and that that should bring a certain amount of pizzazz to their particular interactions. You know? Yeah, I I agree. Uh, we've talked before about about Shay's acting a little bit. And uh, I, I think that um, this is like a, a situation where they're both just sort of undermatched with one another. Um, yeah. And especially because the plot line that they're, I guess, choosing to bring back is like, so Emily is going to feel some kind of jealousy because Paige didn't mention Shauna being a swimmer. Like, that seems super weird. And also, like... I know it's been a minute since we've actually seen Paige in the flesh, but last time we did, it seemed like she and Emily worked out this whole jealousy of Shauna thing. So, yeah, I... Well, it's not even really clear who's supposed to be feeling jealous, either. Is it that Emily is supposed to be feeling jealous because, like, she feels like Paige is keeping information about Shauna from her? Or is it that Emily is feeling guilty because she feels a spark with Shauna that is surprising to her. Like we don't, it, it's hard to even really know. Oh yeah. I, I have trouble thinking it would be that she feels a spark with Shauna just because this is a, a very sparkless interaction. Uh, but I actually think that a better fight to be had over all of this is for Paige to be like, I can't believe that you met Missy Franklin <laughs> at the brew and didn't call me to come over immediately. <laughs> Well, good point. The reason that I said that about about the spark is because we're going to be told, and yes, I do mean told and not shown later in the season, that apparently Emily and Shauna have been, like, text flirting. Do you remember oh. that? Um, I remember that Shauna is, like, flirtatious with everybody. Remember when she flirts with Spencer later on yeah. and Hannah gets mad because she didn't get flirted with? Um. Yeah, Shauna is just, Shauna is like a chaotic gay flirt uh, about town. She's like playing a numbers game. She's like, if I just flirt with every girl in town, something interesting's bound to happen. Yeah, or maybe she's just like, maybe she's just like following 
Emily all around because like all the girls are constantly like falling in love with Emily. Maybe like Shauna is just hoping that now Emily is in a relationship with Paige. She'll get like some secondary action from uh, the girls who are always swooning whenever Emily walks by. Yes. You just reminded me though of the fact that Spencer is very into it when Shauna flirts. The one character that Shauna has chemistry with is Spencer, I think. Well, I mean, that could be said of many characters on the show, but it's true. I I would someday like to read a Spencer Shauna fic. Wouldn't turn it down. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, Oh, also uh, I have a note on the scene. Which is that uh, Shauna saunters out after asking Emily to send her the pictures, and Emily does not even thank her for arranging <laughs> this meetup with Missy Franklin, which I feel like is extremely bad manners. It's also extremely Emily Fields, though. <laughs> I mean, Pam would not approve, but nevertheless. You're right. You're right. That is peak Emily. Oh, uh, back over at Radley, Spencer is now into investigative mode, uh, confiding confiding in Eddie Lamb her suspicions about Toby and the old badges. She name checks Mona, and Eddie indicates he remembers her. He also tells Spencer it wasn't just the badges. They had issues with visitors' badges, too, uh, and traced the issue back to someone on the staff, but he will not say who. As he's leaving... Uh, they discussed that this room that Spencer's in was Mona's very room. After he's gone, Spencer moves the desk lamp to reveal some words scratched into the wood of the desk. Will the circle be unbroken? And this takes us to Mona's voice singing, and we cut to a flashback. <laughs> yes, at th- this flashback is to... The church. Uh, Nerdy Mona is singing her heart out. She is so adorable and so into the music. Spencer sits with Allison, who is laughing, um, laughing at a way too into it Mona. When Mona kind of realizes where she is, she tones it down a little bit. Uh, After church, Allie and Spencer walk off together. Allie snarks about Mona praying for bigger boobs. Uh, Mona comes out of the church and looks incredibly wounded and Spencer looks at her uh, rather rather guiltily, which is really interesting to have this visual exchange between the two of them, considering everything these two have been through this season already. Um, Allie is scrawling something in her diary, which she announces that Spencer can only read after she's dead. Spencer tells her to not be so gruesome, but Allie says she isn't being gruesome. She's being mysterious. She is writing them for Spencer, and they are very scandalous. These two together are so fun and interesting. There's this interplay of competition and intrigue and love and frustration as Spencer clearly wants to read the diary but has to play it cool in front of Allison as they walk off to the pastry shop. It is so, so, so good. Um, And it makes me sad that we don't actually get more Allie and Spencer scenes over the course of the show because um, I I just, I I love the two of them together. Yeah, this is a super interesting scene because a lot of the times when we see Allie Spencer flashbacks, the two of them are in competition or in conflict with each other. This is a great scene of Allie, you know, walking arm in arm with Spencer and acting like Spencer is the heir apparent, that when Allison, like Allison is making provisions for when she's gone, 
and she is treating Spencer uh, as though Spencer will then become the leader of the group. Yes. Yeah. There is this real sense of, you know, you will, you will carry on this legacy. Yeah. And uh, I just, they're just great together. I love the interplay of Allison, Spencer and Mona in this scene. Uh, I think that like you were talking about the glance that Spencer and Mona exchange is really, really interesting. Um, And also this is like kind of launching uh, the, you know, the thing that they've been working on uh, of maybe Allison was planning her disappearance. She got all that money from Byron. Uh, she may or may not have been pregnant. Like, this definitely seems to indicate uh, that Allison is uh, making preparations for a time when she is not going to be around. And that she knows that Spencer is going to be the one to to not only step in as leader but but who will probably be the one trying to figure out what happened to her Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure uh back in the present spencer looks around her room wild and disturbed yes over at prezra's loft byron is here for a manly chat prezra wants to assure byron that it was all aria's idea to ask for help and he apologizes on behalf of his little lady who just had to stick her nose in the middle of everything. What a prince. He says that there are things he hasn't been able to explain to Arya. Byron snarks about pride and says that he talked to the dean, but there's no room for Prezra, though he offers to help. Blah, blah, blah. They talk about amends and bad judgment. Of course, these two terrible fathers are bonding. Uh, Yeah, this is like the predator to predator chat here. And uh, Byron acting like a man at his time of life is just so burdened with having to apologize and make amends for their actions all the damn time. I mean, ugh, what what a burden he bears. I remember that the Bros Watch PLL2 podcast had this uh, recurring joke that Byron and Prezra um, would have a bad, sad dad's po- either night or podcast of their own. And um, that was what I was thinking of when I saw this. I was like, oh, they're getting ready to start their Bad Sad Dads podcast. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Uh, But yeah, he's acting like maybe he's going to help him, uh, even though there's no position at Hollis anymore. Uh, So he's just, you know, he's just there to, like, put out some feelers, it seems like, uh, into Prezra's state of mind. Yes. Byron. Uh, back at Radley, Spencer is now at the piano playing Will the Circle Be Unbroken, uh, which we heard them singing like a fuller version of the song in the flashback. Now Spencer's playing it again here. This is such a great choice uh, for a church hymn uh, for PLL to use because it's like, it seems innocuous, but it also has like kind of a creepy edge to it. Um, So Spencer is like playing it on this like sort of broken sounding piano and a little bit of a minor key uh, when Eddie Lamb comes over to talk some more. Uh, He says he's only known one Toby. It's not a very common name. Nice kid. His mom was a patient there. Spencer asks if it was Toby Cavanaugh. And while Eddie Lamb does not confirm this outright, he leads her to believe that it is correct. Uh, They don't get to chat more as some people arrive at the desk needing assistance but Eddie tells Spencer to keep practicing. 
Yeah, they act like the name Toby is like the most unusual name in the world, which I mean, I guess it's not like terribly common, but it, it this is this feels very noirish this conversation between the two of them, doesn't it? It really does. Well, plus um I mean, Spencer is not a super common name, uh nor is Caleb, nor is Prezra, nor is Ren. <laughs> like there are a lot of characters with like somewhat unusual names running around town so yeah toby doesn't it doesn't feel like it tops the list by by any measure well it's so funny the way that earlier in this episode spencer is like mona vanderwall do you remember her and it's like first of all that name alone of course he remembers (laughs) when you think about who mona is it's like come on spencer but then it's like toby toby i've never heard that name like a little weird (laughs) <laughs> I think my favorite PL name though might be Maya Saint Germain. Like it's just so it's got such style to it. Do uh, you think that uh do you think that Toby's full name is like Tobias? <laughs> do you think he ever do you think he ever goes by that? I like the idea that it's Tobias Kavanaugh. That um Tobias Pretty Eyes Kavanaugh. Yeah, and maybe yeah, I feel like only his father calls him Tobias. You know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but we'll never know because we never meet the Kavanaugh parents. <laughs> um, so liar, the liars are in the bathroom worrying about Spencer and the possibility that she might not get out. Uh, and they have this really interesting conversation where uh, Hannah kind of admits that she thought Spencer would be the first one to snap. It, uh, d- this is the downside to her being too smart, uh, which, as always, I love emotionally intelligent Hannah. Uh, they Aria even goes so far as to say that Emily isn't the weak link Spencer is, um, which I really don't love this idea of Spencer going through a really hard time uh, equating to her being the weakest link or breaking or somehow, um, you know, letting them down or letting her guard down in a bad way. Um, but I, 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 I think I think the sentiment is is a fascinating one since Spencer is so often framed as like the strong one. Uh, just then Mona comes in and snarks about Spencer uh, until Arya admits that Spencer is in Radley. Mona, who I'm sure already knew this, but is going to play like she didn't, has just a delightful reaction to that where she just kind of laughs, um, recognizing that information. And Arya just snaps. Uh, she threatens Mona with bodily harm and then suddenly over the intercom is called to the principal's office. Uh, obviously, this has to do with Prezra, as we'll see, see in the next scene. But the timing sure does make it seem like the magic of Mona. And the way Mona smirks in the mirror, I think she is very happy for the liars to believe that her superpowers made this happen. Yeah, I love Mona in this scene. I mean, I love Mona in this episode in general. Uh, but the image of Arya threatening her, Arya in this scene is showing her concern for Spencer by wearing a knee length leopard print coat. And uh, in that outfit, threatening Mona is really quite a picture. Yeah. Oh, completely, completely. But also I wish that the liars were talking more about how to support Spencer and like what they could do for Spencer uh, rather than just being like, Hey, great. You weren't the weakest link after all, Emily. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a weird, it's it's like a game of, of like Duck, Duck, Goose or something where they're like, oh, like, we'll just hand this responsibility over to Spencer. She's the crazy one, like, time to dust off our hands. Um, and it's, it, it also, like, 
the the common thread I think between Emily and Spencer is that they're gay, but also <laughs> that um, they've both been grieving. Like they've been grieving um, these really close losses of um, these really powerful romantic relationships. And so for the liars to sort of sum it up as, as weakness, um, I'm not, I'm not a fan of, um, but I, but I, but I am also fascinated by the idea that the liars that like that Hannah is a more emotionally intelligent liar and therefore maybe less likely to, to quote unquote crack. Like I think Hannah, I think Hannah might do a lot of stupid things, but I don't really think Hannah this would be an interesting conversation. Like, when does each liar crack? I don't think Hannah really cracks until she kidnaps Noel Khan in season seven. Oh, that's a very interesting. That would be such an interesting question uh, to talk about at some point. Like, like when each liar just like breaks down. Um, I think that you're probably right. I think that Hannah got the most out of therapy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that because Hannah has a parent who is much more present and supportive, I think that she's just much more grounded uh, than some of the other liars can be. I agree. I agree. Aria obviously cracked the minute Avataria showed up. That <laughs> sent her into a, into a personality split. So like, oh. No, I think I think Aria I think Aria has a lot of moments throughout the series because. Um, the adults in her life are so terrible, so she has very little to rely on. <laughs> yes, um, I agree. I I would also suggest that when she climbs on the non-working ski lift <laughs> as a means of escape, uh, <laughs> that, that that is perhaps not the action of someone who is like thinking with with the best part of of their brain. <laughs> When she is pouring iced tea all over Laurel Tuckman's equipment. <laughs> maybe Aria, maybe Aria has like cracked before the series started. <laughs> I think Aria has like one crack per episode. <laughs> Always operating with that energy. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh, so speaking of Aria, Hackett wants to talk to Aria about the fact that one Prezra Fitz has applied to be a substitute teacher. And, oh, Hackett uses so many weasel words here. This is an informal conversation. He doesn't want any misunderstandings or miscommunications. It's come to his attention that after Mr. Fitz left Rosewood High, Arya may have seen him socially and of course the private lives of his pupils are none of his concern except that he's asking about it right now uh and they would hate for things to become awkward read illegal Ugh. anyway Hackett clearly knows that Arya and Prezra were involved this alone should be plenty of information to conclude that Prezra should not be hired. And if this adult gentleman vice principal has questions about what was going on, 
the person he should direct them to is the adult applying for this teaching job. He should not, as a first course of action, call a teenage girl into his office and ask for the details on her sexual partners. Ugh. He also doesn't ask any questions like, were the two of you involved while he was teaching here, etc.? because he doesn't want the answer to that. Uh, and he accepts Arya's very wild, wild lies that she's telling about how, no, no, she isn't seeing him. They did a few times, but never anything serious. Ha, 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 at face value, because that's what Hackett wants to hear. Uh, what a supreme dereliction of duty. Uh, the fact that he knows that this adult man was dating a student and is still going to let him teach at their school again is abhorrent this is 110 percent rosewood at its worst yes completely completely couldn't have said it better myself um th- yeah there is absolutely zero chance that the adult man applying for this job was asked about any of this right yeah oh 100%. yeah and, and also like let's just also like talk about the fact that presra although he like briefly mentioned to aria that he's thinking about teaching again did not tell her that he is like yep. going to be applying to the school uh, to prepare Aria for potentially having to like answer any of these inquiries. I don't think Aria should have said anything. I think Aria just should have said like, this is not an appropriate conversation for us to be having um, because this is a, this is a shitty position. Now, uh, now if if it were to be revealed later that they're still in a relationship, which Hackett has to know, like 80%, he has to know that they are still in a relationship. Like they're not even trying to hide it anymore. Um, Like then Hackett is going to be able to like pin it on Aria. Oh, well I spoke with Miss Montgomery and she told me, it was certainly not the fault of my trusting self that I hired this good family man to come and teach here because I spoke with a young trollop and she <laughs> said that nothing was happening. Well, I cannot help it if the strumpet lied. <laughs> Let us pin a scarlet A to her chest so there shall be no more confusion. Um, yeah, I mean, not only did Prezra not, um, not prep her on this in terms of just this conversation, but like, this would be a huge conversation, should be a huge conversation between them about him potentially being a teacher back at Rosewood High. I mean, that would be that this was the this this was the 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 terror in their relationship for the first couple of seasons. And, you know, a huge, huge issue between the two of them. And for him to just sort of, you know, weasel off and go apply for this teaching position and not even. Uh, have it be a conversation with her is such a violation. Ugh, yes. Uh, I hate the scene. The scene makes me really mad. It's one of the scenes that makes me the maddest in all of PLL. Uh, and I should also mention that Aria is now wearing a necklace that definitely looks like it's probably a horcrux. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Spencer is scribbling away at a notebook in the Radley day room when Mona walks in with a tin of cookies and a smile and a small world, isn't it? <laughs> oh, Vander Jesus, she's here. She's queer and she brought baked goods. Yes, she's here to save us all. <laughs> oh, golly, we had that that little ray of light with the Vander Jesus and Spencer and 
Now we move on to another scene of a man being a big old dick. <laughs> Ashley and Pastor Ted are doing coffee and a walk and talk about her trip to New York and possible promotion. He hates it and will not wish her luck because <laughs> it just would not feel honest. He, who has been dating her for like two months, maybe, likes seeing her here. <clears throat> Let's just explore. But if he didn't want to wish her luck, he could have said something else. Something like, you're a smart, capable woman, Ashley. I know you'll do great out there. Or, they'd be lucky to have you. Or, Rosewood's loss would be New York City's gain. Or... What a great opportunity for you. I'd be disappointed to see you go, but I'd never want to hold you back such from such an exciting and well-deserved promotion. Also, this whole going to a seminar as an audition situation, this is generally not at all how promotions in the corporate world work. Anyway, he wants to know if there was another reason she wanted to get out of town, maybe not due to like a promotion where she would get to move to a better city and make more money, know some other reason that a lady might want to leave town looking at some cop cars for example if there was something else would she tell him so that he could manly man solve her problems uh ashley sticks to her story and says no there is no other reason yes getting to break up with ted is just a bonus <laughs> um yeah what do you think he thinks this other reason is I mean, he definitely seems to think, I, I think he seems to think that maybe Wilden is an ex-boyfriend who's harassing her. I, I kind of get the vibe that that's, yeah. what, um, that's what he suspects is, is going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, this, is one of those, this is one of those things where like somebody is like upset that you're breaking up with them. And so they behave horribly because they want you back. Like he's like, I'm not going to wish you good luck. It wouldn't be honest as a way to like, just make her like, just make her faint with desire. Like, Oh, be a real jerk some more. Surely that will make me wish to remain in this relationship with you. I'm surprised he doesn't start quoting Bible verses at her here. Uh, well, I mean, this probably, uh, I mean, Tom Marin, I feel, would exhibit the exact same lack of support for Ashley's goal. So it probably at least feels familiar to her. Yes, indeed. I'm sure it does. Back over at Radley, Mona offers Spencer some cookies brought for her favorite nurse, Sybil. Um, Mona insists that she uh, is visiting a friend, but Spencer asks why she killed Toby. Look at all that's happened since you turned me down on our little drive up the mountain, Mona says, which is, I love that line so much. Um, Mona says that she is a generous person who believes in second chances. She tells Spencer that Allie told her she wasn't pregnant, whipping out a diary and an iPad with a bunch of diary pages on it. The way she dangles this little uh, iPad in front of Spencer is so brilliant Spencer, of course, can't resist trying to sneak a peek, but Mona snatches it away. Mona knows that Spencer can't resist the answers. She points out that without her, Spencer will never really know anything for sure, even as Spencer is begging to be left alone. Um, Spencer brings up choking Mona again, which they would both be into, and that she has nothing left to lose. Mona tells Spencer, you're not crazy. You're as sane as I am. Yes, indeed. This scene is so 
fascinating the way that reality and the truth and sanity uh, works with these two. Uh, that line, you know, when when Mona says that without her, Spencer will never really know anything for sure, I think is just so brilliant because Spencer feels completely crazy around Mona. She feels like Mona um, sort of unmoors her. And yet at the same time, Mona is not only the only person who can give her the answers she needs, Mona is the only person who can really fully understand her. And it is just... These the interplay between the two of them is delicious. Yeah, this scene is truly the heart of this episode. And I feel like that devastating line sums up the entire Mona Spencer arc for the whole series, which is you're not crazy, you're as sane as I am. Like yeah. that that Mona and Spencer are so much the same uh, in terms of their queerness, in terms of their struggles, uh, just in terms of you know, in terms of their love for Hannah, uh, there's just so much going on here. Uh, and I also, uh, I, I love the line and I, I think it feels like a very queer line when Mona says, I have the answers to questions you don't even know that you have yet. Um, yeah. because that's just like, oh yes, yes, she does. Spencer, she does have those answers. Uh, and also Spencer, like, turning her down by saying, like, I, whatever the question you're asking is, the answer is no. Uh, because there are a lot of questions that Mona could be asking uh, in yes. this in this windup, for sure. Well, think about this scene in the context of um, the scene between Paige and Allison, the last scene between the two of them, when Paige is trying to get Allison to admit that she's in love with Emily. And I feel like this scene shares so much of that DNA with sort of Allison in the Spencer role and Paige in the Mona role of like, just admit it, just admit it, just admit that we are similar in this thing, just own up to it. Very different feel, of course, but there's this same idea of like, you have to admit who you are. I am not going to leave here. I'm not going to stop, you know, bothering you until you admit to me who you are. Well, also, um, imagine imagine this conversation happening in the context of like Mona and Spencer have had sex post academic uh, decathlon choking situation because it would play exactly the same. Spencer is afraid that Mona killed Toby because of Spencer, because, because killing Toby gets the boyfriend out of the way because killing Toby, Toby was only ever, a pawn in order for Mona to like tap into Spencer's emotion uh, that now that Toby is gone, Spencer is single and look at how bad her life has been since she turned Mona down on their drive up the mountain. It's, it's so fascinating, isn't it? There's so many levels to, to read this, this scene in. Yeah, and like the just the I, I wish that those cookies they're probably like apple fritters or something because uh, you know that's what Mona's doing. She's offering this knowledge. She's offering this temptation. Uh, and Mona, man, it's just so well played. It's so well played. She knows exactly what she's doing. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, outside of the Fields house, Ashley is saying goodbye to Hannah who has brought four suitcases for a three-day stay. No, 
never change, Hannah. And when Emily kind of indicates that it's a lot of bags, does Hannah think she has enough clothes? Hannah's just like, oh, I forgot something. I can just go home for it. (laughs) Oh, Marin. Hannah. The moment Ashley is gone, Wilden rolls up in a new squad car. Hannah charges over to confront him, and he offers her a deal. All he wants is the car. Uh, He'll stop bothering her and her mom if she will just give him the keys and tell him where she left it. Do you think that if, if, if the car was not in the bottom of the lake and Hannah had given him the keys and had given him the car... Do you do you think do you think it would have been over? Do you think wouldn't Wilden would have skipped town, or do you think he would have continued blackmailing them? Oh, I I think that all of his behavior up to this point, uh, nothing about it would make me believe that he would stick to his word and it would be over. Yeah. Like I think as long as Wilden is around, he's going to be harassing these two. Yeah, I I do think that's true. I do also think that the that this situation with the with the concern that he may have gotten Allison pregnant. Uh, really does, he seems more freaked by this than any other misconduct before that. I don't know if that's, if that would be freaked enough for him to actually change his behavior or skip town or anything. Um, But I do think that there's a possibility that if they hadn't gotten rid of the car, this might not have gone as badly. Um, You know, I would not have minded uh, I, I would not have minded, although Wilden has been like an excellent adversary uh, while he's been on the show. I think it could have been interesting. Uh, Wilden seems like he's being hounded by devils now. And I think that if if Charlotte or if A was like turning on him, I think it would have been interesting to see like a very uneasy alliance forming between Ashley, Wilden and Hannah. I think that that would have had a lot of interesting possibilities within it. Wilden could have been the spike of uh, season four. Well, yeah, I mean, he could have been someone who, like, they weren't really sure if they could trust. And if he does get killed later, that it would seem weird that they had this relationship that no one knew about. I I think that um, there were just a lot of interesting possibilities that they kind of left on the table there. I would not have trusted the show, though to have not made Wilden and Ashley fall in love. And that would have been gross. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, I can already see the scene of, like, Ashley waking up in regret, realizing that she has cheated on Pastor Ted. Uh, who uh, would regret that? Oh, <laughs> uh, true. Um, Hannah does have a great line in the scene. Sometimes you poke the bear, and other times the bear pokes you. It's from a movie. Um <laughs> So Spencer is in some kind of group therapy led by Dr. Sullivan in Radley. Um, I wrote down most of what she says in this scene because I find it so interesting. Um, She says that she did know who she was and that she knew that people would be worried about her, but she didn't want to think anymore. She wasn't Spencer Hastings for almost a whole day, but nobody else showed up to the job. So she stuck with it. She looks around the group and... um, and kind of has this moment of sort of, I think, dawning like how, where she is, where she is both mentally and physically. She says that she fell down in the woods. She fell down and she looked at the ground and she saw her hand and her sleeve and the button on her sleeve and some dirt and an old acorn. And she thought that if this was the last thing she ever saw, she could handle that. She was done. She'd had enough. 
but it wasn't the last thing she saw. She kept going. Spencer asks, how do you keep going when the worst thing has happened? How do you have to change to survive? Who do you have to become? She tells the group that they don't know her. And then in her mind, they transform into her friends. And she continues saying, I'm sorry, but that's true. You don't know who I am anymore. And you can't count on me. And she cries. Oh, man. Yeah, this is, um, it is so sad that Troy did not get an Emmy for her work as Spencer. Because in this episode and in this scene, as she's monologuing here, it's just... It's really incredible work. Um, and you see that she's crying. You see that in her mind, the liars are crying, like Hannah is crying and, and Aria. And uh, yeah, when she talks about, uh, when she talks about what certainly seems to be like, if not an active suicidal ideation, like definitely, um, definitely wanting to harm herself enough to like, get in a situation where like for example if she were in the car with Mona and Mona was about to drive him off the cliff at this point would Spencer try to stop her that's a very good question yeah and and yes just definitely trigger warning for this part of the conversation um yeah I I it, it Spencer is there's this sense that Spencer feels like it was wrong that she has survived up to this point. She she almost seems to feel like she should be dead. Like like what she has gone through she she should not exist anymore. She should be gone. Um and now that she isn't, it's like she doesn't know what to do with herself. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know how to how to keep existing. Um, and, and I think it's so interesting because this is obviously not just about Toby, you know, like this is, I, this is something that's been brewing in Spencer for quite some time. And for her to get to this point where she's just laying it all out, it's, it's, it's devastating. And yet there's also something that feels really inevitable about it, I think. Well, and Spencer has been, um, Spencer's been playing she's kind of been playing at being in Radley. Like she's been using all these film noir lines and she's been like trying to do a little bit of low key investigation about what's going on with the badges and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's really at the moment when she's, she's in the group and she kind of apologizes at the beginning by saying like, you know, some of these people have real problems and Dr. Sullivan says, like you, and then Spencer says, just like me, like, this is the moment where Spencer is actually like, like, this is the closest she's gotten all episode to like admitting and acknowledging that like she has serious problems and she does need help. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. This is her, this is her um, plumbing into the depths of, of everything that she's been feeling of her, um, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, her, her depression and anxiety for sure. And her feeling of hopelessness. I mean, she has no, she feels, she feels no hope right now. She feels no, she does not feel compelled to, to go on in this world. Yeah. And this is the thing, like she's, she's saying it to this group of strangers uh, because it's not something that she can say 
to Melissa. And it's not something that she can say to her parents. And it's not something that she can say even to Ren, uh, because this is like, this is not the feelings that Spencer Hastings is supposed to have. Like Spencer Hastings is supposed to have like a strong spine and a stiff upper lip. And, you know, this vulnerability uh, is something that is just, it's not allowed. It's not allowed to exist in her world outside of the space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the, you know, Spencer, there are a lot of forbidden truths in Spencer's life, forbidden truths and inconvenient truths. Um, and, uh, you know, Mona, Mona was pressing on a lot of them, I think. And, and it's like, it's like, it's really, yeah, it's sort of like she's opened Pandora's box here, you know, and just everything that she's tried to, to deny is, is coming, tumbling out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I just think that, like, hearing Spencer open up like this after Mona has pushed her to, like, the edge of her, like, emotional capacity is really interesting. Like, that, that Mona uh, wants Spencer to get to this place of reckoning. Right, right. Yeah, it's... it's... It's and it's interesting to think about Mona being in this in the same scenario. Like, did Mona ever get this real in Radley? I don't imagine that she did. Um, because I think with Mona, it's like the truth is even more complicated. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, what do you make of when Spencer imagines the liars sitting there? Um, because like the things that Spencer is saying, like when I said, like, this isn't something that she could talk about with her family. Do you think that this is something that she could talk about with the other liars? What do you think would happen if she talked to the other liars about not wanting to go on? Well, it's a that's a good question because I think they haven't done a great job of showing that they'd be offering her the right kind of support of late. And I also think that one thing we've seen since the whole Tobey reveal is that Spencer has, we've really gotten a sense of how Spencer views herself, how Spencer views herself from the perspective of her friends, how Spencer believes her friends view her. And she really believes that they view her as the leader, as the, as the general, as the one that they can count on, as the one who's going to solve the mystery. And, um, I think that that is extending into this moment where she she is saying you can't count on me. She's not saying I need to be able to count on you. Although I think that that's sort of the flip side is that maybe she's she doesn't really feel like she can count on them based on um based on these recent interactions. Um uh, and of course some of that is like she has been really pushing them away, but she's also been um, throwing out all these cries for help that nobody's really been taking very seriously. So, yeah, it's it's com- it's complex for sure. What what do you think? I think that Spencer, as the leader, takes so much on herself that she forgets that she can lean on them for support. Uh, and also, yeah. she's not really good at asking for the specific type of support that she needs. But you're right that the liars, at any rate, have not been very good at figuring it out. 
Well, and she's been raised in a household where any kind of vulnerability is weakness and weakness is not tolerated. And if you need help with something, you figure it out yourself. You do not ask anybody for help. So that it, it she comes by it naturally. Yeah, I mean, remember when Veronica had the cancer scare and didn't tell yes. anyone in her family? Like, she wound up confiding drunkenly to a kid who worked at the club. Like, this right. is Spencer's, like, this is Spencer's version of going through that. Like, she's just telling these strangers in her therapy group at Radley uh, the things that she can't tell people who are, like, close to her in her everyday life. It's true. It's true. Now, here's a question. So... Do you think, let's say, let's say Toby wasn't part of the A-team and they were going on and being in their relationship. Do you think Spencer would have reached this breaking point anyway? And if so, what do you think, other than Toby being A and dying, what do you think could have pushed her to that place? <sighs> Having to come out? <laughs> no. Um, I, I think that one of the reasons that Spencer is going through this now uh, is the betrayal of Toby, of course, but also that remember when Melissa and Ian get married and Melissa has that moment of saying, like, she says, like, she doesn't have to care about the same things anymore. And, like, she finds it very sort of liberating, um... To, to be in this new relationship on her own terms, etc. I think that um, the Spencer Hastings that exists in the Hastings household uh, was very different from the Spencer Hastings that Toby insisted on being his girlfriend. And so I think that Spencer felt like she had like a secondary identity that she could pin mm-hmm. more of her happiness on or more of her identity on. Uh, and I think that like Toby dying also takes that away as them breaking up took that away. Um, So, yeah, I think that, I think that that's part of what's happening here, but I I also was really struck by um, like by Spencer's questioning here when she says, how do you keep going when the worst thing has happened? Like, what do you have to change inside to survive? Who do you have to become? And I feel like those are like home questions right now. Like those are home questions for the world right now. Like, what is it? Like, what is it that keeps you going when it gets harder than you ever imagined that it could be? Like, how do you move through grief and how do you move through trauma and how do you, you know, how how do you motivate yourself? Uh, who, Who do you become uh, when all the things that are like familiar uh, change very suddenly. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, and I also think that those that those lines, um, we could look at those in the context of Paige's lines when she's coming out um, and you know talking about if I say it out loud, the whole world is going to change. And Emily's yeah. response, you know, yeah, it will. Um, and it's like, yeah, Spencer's whole world has changed. Well, and let's, when we look at the indisputable queerness of Spencer Hastings, let's just look at the line, what do you have to change inside to survive? What indeed, Spencer? <laughs> what indeed? Well, it's like that, that 
that song, those lyrics of that song that was playing a couple of episodes ago when she was putting the makeup on that was all about, you know, what was it? The shoes that don't quite fit. It's like, Spencer. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Mm. Mm. Do we have more about Spencer in this scene? I mean, we could talk about it for ages. We but... could talk about it forever, but no, I think I think that we that we've 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 covered it pretty pretty uh, pretty concretely. We can move on. I think now to the A tag. Okay, okay. Uh, a tag. The black hoodie is in a layer, typing and reading a flyer about Carnival before they get up, and we see that they are actually in an RV. The black hoodie drives the mobile layer away, and we see the funeral photo of Allison taped above the gear shift. Right. So this is when when Spencer um, happened upon the confusingly empty apartment uh, a few weeks back. This is this is where A has moved all of the stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like the idea of a mobile A command center. I do too. I do too. And this particular A tag feels very like frenetic the way that it's filmed. Like there's really a sense of of urgency to A's actions here. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh but this is I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the first time uh that we're seeing the RV and the first time that we're aware that like A has has gone mobile. And I think we're also supposed to think uh I th- I think that th- we're all supposed to think that this might be Toby, because the campsite, like the, the RV to me kind of denotes like a camping lifestyle uh, <laughs> that we saw his his presumed body there in the woods. Yes, right. Um, and then the next episode is I'm Your Puppet, which is uh, a great episode and shockingly the second to last episode of this season of season three. I cannot believe it. Yeah, that is going to be really exciting. And you're going to get your ghost waltz. <laughs> Finally, the ghost waltz is, is going, to, going to happen. Another great Allie Spencer moment. Um, you know, unfortunately, now we know that they're related, so we can't be too shippy with it. But, you know, nobody <laughs> knew they were related back then. So, Right. And I mean, who knows? If PLL had gone like a full 30 seasons, uh, it might have been revealed that like one of them was like the offspring of aliens. So it's very, very possible. It's very yeah. possible. Um, but if you have any thoughts on this episode, you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast and send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would definitely appreciate that. Um, there's been some interesting like PLL news in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks. There's the the PLL moms are starting a uh, their own recap podcast, which is very exciting. And also they had the um, the reunion little chat on on Zoom, uh, which I have not seen any of. Uh, did you were you able to watch any of it? Yes, I watched. Uh, yeah, after they had a bunch of technical difficulties at the start of the call. Um, I did get to watch the the full hour of it. Interesting. Interesting. Any, any, like any important takeaways? Uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll have, maybe we'll have a bonus chat about it where I give a little recap. We'll see. That would be very fun. That would be very fun. And also of course the final tragic news in the world of PLL this week, Cara and Ashley have broken up. Oh, we man. are, we are, oh. we are still in mourning. 
Um, but uh, yes, best, best to them both. Yes, yes. I hope that Ashley, um, I hope that she finds peace and happiness and another hot girlfriend that I can read about her in the tabloids with. This is my, this is my truest wish. (laughs) You know, 2020 has been a rough year. This is all we're asking for. Like, it's not much. (laughs) It's not much. And, you know, you know, just, just putting it out there, Santa, if it could be Troyan or Janelle... (laughs) Or say, <laughs> you know, write that down. <laughs> At least two out of three of them are like, married, right? Well, I, you know, things are not always permanent in this world. That's true. That's true. Polyamory is a we thing. Don't, yeah, it is. It is. We yeah. don't know the details of, uh, of yeah. status. And I mean, it's Ashley Benson. Come on. <laughs> I will say, I will say that on the call uh, where they were all, uh, they were all doing the little reunion thing. Um, I feel like Ashley actually her, her voice, her natural speaking voice that she was using Yes. is the gayest it is so much gayer even than troyans i was really? like i i was blown away yes interesting interesting i mean she does sound very i've seen like her in interviews she does sound very different from hannah um but fascinating fascinating yeah. hmm wow well we will we will be keeping tabs on that whole situation uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yes, we will be back with I'm Your Puppet. Do we have any any last thoughts on Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Uh, no, I was going to ask you, uh, in your opinion, if you were doing the mental health evaluation on Spencer, oh. would you release her from Radley after the 72-hour hold, or would you recommend further treatment? Oh, further treatment, absolutely. <laughs> How about you? Oh my gosh, yes. She yeah. should definitely be under like professional care at this point for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but that's like, that's why I hate the way that they're setting this whole thing up where it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like create, like quote unquote crazy is just like this on and off switch. You know, Mm -hmm. there there are no shades of gray in any of this. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm, yes, Spencer should definitely, definitely be receiving future treatment. Um, All right. Well, that was a fun, that was a fun chat. Yeah, take care. Be well. See you next time.